Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 122, an Apple R&D bonanza. Hi, I'm Neil. One number that I track on a quarterly basis is the amount of money Apple spends on research and development. This particular line item is intriguing. It has a certain mystery to it. On one hand, we're never quite sure what Apple includes in its research and development. However, on the other hand, we can have a high degree of confidence that Apple, well, they approach R&D differently than most companies. Despite its large size, Apple has never really been among the top, among the leaders, when it comes to the amount of money spent on research and development. That surprises a lot of people. Well, things are changing. Today's episode is going to take a closer look at Apple's R&D. It's been a while since we took a closer examination of what's really going on here. We're going to go over my theory on what I think is taking place with Apple's R&D. Best place to begin when talking about Apple's research and development is to look at the numbers. And the numbers are pretty crazy. They're remarkable. According to my estimates, Apple is going to spend $14 billion on R&D in fiscal year 2018. That is nearly double the amount spent on R&D just four years ago. Said another way, the $14 billion that Apple's going to spend on R&D this year, it's more than the amount Apple spent on R&D from 1998 to 2011. Another way to track Apple R&D is to look at the year-over-year increase in expenditures on a quarterly basis. The primary reason I like looking at it in this way is it gives a little bit more color than just looking at annual totals for R&D, which continue to go up year after year. Instead, if we look at it on a quarterly basis, we can see more in the way of fluctuation. And I actually think we could start to see more about, well, maybe a particular product is starting to drive R&D, or vice versa. Maybe one product which was contributing to R&D is now sort of being put on the back burner. And so when you track things on a quarterly basis, I'm noticing a change. Something new is taking place. Going back a year to fiscal year, second quarter 2017, Apple R&D expense growth hit a multi-year low. Now what that means is that the increase in R&D was not as robust as previous quarters. There were likely a few factors for this, but my suspicion is it probably had to do with Project Titan. So whereas the previous years I thought Project Titan was the main driver of Apple R&D, well, the team was refocused. Apple wanted to look at the core technology before turning to hardware. I think that contributed to this sort of lull in R&D growth. But then something interesting happened. Every quarter since, second quarter 2017, Apple's R&D expense growth has increased. There has been an uptrend. And if we take a look at Apple's guidance for this upcoming quarter, second quarter 2018, Apple expects to report the largest year-over-year increase in Apple R&D expense in history. 
That's significant. Now, how did I get that number? Where am I getting this expectation? When Apple reports earnings, they also give guidance for the upcoming quarter. And one line item that they guide to is operating expenses. And that's composed of two pieces. SG&A, Selling General Administrative Expense, and R&D, Research and Development. Apple told us that for the second quarter of 2018, they expect operating expenses to be somewhere between $7.6 billion and $7.7 billion. My first reaction when I heard that range is, wow, that's actually pretty high. Because Apple reported total operating expenses of $6.5 billion in the second quarter of 2017. So if we take the midpoint of Apple's guidance range for operating expenses, compare it to the previous years, Apple expects that line item to increase 18%. Go back the previous year. That line item only increased 10%. Another way of looking at this is on a sequential basis. In 2015, 2016, and 2017, Apple's total operating expenses declined, moving from the first quarter to the second quarter. And in some cases, it was a pretty substantial decline. Last year, you're looking at almost a $300 million decline. 2018, the guidance Apple gave, it's for an increase. So this tells me something's going on here. Something is up. Either Apple's SG&A expense is all of a sudden shooting higher for a reason that's not clear. And again, this is a line item that Apple has been actually seeing a lot of success in containing it. 2016 was a tough year for revenue growth. Apple did a pretty good job at keeping SG&A under control. Why would that particular line item all of a sudden shoot higher now? It doesn't make sense to me. That leaves one thing. R&D. Apple is likely projecting a very big quarter for the amount of money that's spent on R&D. And if we take this and go back to what we were just saying, where the year-over-year increase in Apple R&D expense has been on this uptrend starting from 2017, this is where I think Apple is telling us. The company is going to report a record quarter for R&D expense. And it's going to be another record in terms of the year-over-year increase in R&D expense. In my model, I have that increase at $725 million. Something is driving that growth. Apple is up to something. This is where our discussion turns to talking a little bit more about what that something could be. What are the growth drivers for Apple's R&D expense? It's easy to assume that the increase in Apple R&D over the years is simply due to Apple's expanding product line. So Apple is selling more products. You need more research and development to kind of keep things going. That would explain why Apple's now reporting record amounts of R&D. However, I think there's more to it than that. There's more behind Apple's R&D expenditures. And so there's three items that are responsible for the growth in Apple R&D. 
The first item is existing products. So yes, Apple is doing more these days. They have a broader product portfolio that is likely contributing to more R&D. There's two more. The second item is in-house tech development. Apple has positioned controlling the core technologies powering its devices as a main goal. So whereas in the past they may have relied more on third parties, now they're developing that on their own. That doesn't come cheap. The third item, new products. Apple is developing products for which it has no guarantee of future commercial viability. That's another way of saying they don't know if these products that they're working on that they don't currently sell will actually amount to much. All of those efforts can be classified as R&D. Out of those three drivers, existing products, in-house tech development, and new products, I actually am skeptical about the first one, existing products. I don't think it contributes as much to Apple's R&D expense as people think. And that's because once a project's commercial viability has been established, so once you have been researching a product, you sell that product, the marketplace likes that product, you know there's something there, well, it becomes that much more difficult to classify subsequent manufacturing or evolutionary product updates to that product as R&D. And so those expenses may have to be marked as a capital expenditure and either amortize or depreciate it over the life of the asset. So what I think is going on here is that new products and Apple's effort to bring tech development in-house, those are really what's driving Apple's R&D, especially when you're looking at these year-over-year -year increases that are actually getting larger over time. One other item that isn't contributing to Apple R&D expenses is Apple Park construction. Real estate construction costs that are related to general corporate uses. So say Apple is building a new cafeteria. You could even say Apple may be building design labs where you know some R&D will take place. That construction cannot be categorized as R&D expense. Instead, if you're going to classify real estate as R&D, there has to be some level of uncertainty regarding future commercial viability. If Apple goes out and buys a building that can only be used for one thing, and that one thing is a product that Apple currently isn't selling, may not sell, they don't know if that product will actually become anything. In that case, Apple can likely classify that as R&D. I think that actually happened a couple of years ago with Project Titan. Apple went out and bought or leased some buildings that really are pretty specialized. I think all those buildings were probably classified as R&D, which is one reason why I think Project Hyde was driving Apple's R&D expense a couple years ago. So this brings us to, well, what could be driving Apple's R&D now? What are the new products behind this recent surge in R&D expenditures? I think there's two things. First, smart glasses. I have a very high degree of confidence that Apple is working on a pair of smart glasses. We could also call these AR glasses. I think such a product is inevitable for Apple. We can look at Apple's M&A track record, patents. We could look at clues found in Apple management commentary, things like AR kit. They all point 
to Apple working on a pair of smart glasses. I tend to think that the team behind this product is likely massive. Hundreds of people. That adds up. <laughs> there is a cost to that. And I think we are seeing that flow through R&D expenditures. The second item, content distribution efforts. I actually think Apple has settled on a broader strategy for content. I know a lot of people look at this and say, this is a company that has no vision for content. They're doing everything. It, it seems like they're just kind of throwing things at a wall. It does seem to now look like they have a strategy. They have blueprints for what they want to do. And it involves being a content distributor. Apple is investing big when it comes to delivering music, video, apps, news, and written content to more than 850 million users, of which 500 million visit the App Store on a weekly basis. I think Apple's effort to launch a video streaming service from scratch is likely being classified as R&D. There's no guarantee here that the money Apple is spending on script development will lead to a commercially viable video streaming product. We also know that Apple is reportedly spending a billion dollars on original video content. See, so put all the pieces together, Apple is building its own Apple Studios, and I think a lot of that is being classified as research and development. Now, of course, there's more that's going on here. It's not that those two items are the only things. There are other new products that are likely driving R&D. We still have Project Titan that's out there. Do not think that Project Titan has been killed or has been put in the back burner. No. <laughs> there is evidence that Apple is still investigating transportation. They're moving forward. The project is expanding. And the other thing Apple is doing is doubling down on hardware to control the brains powering all of its products. The thing about R&D expense is as long as the byproduct of all of these efforts in doubling down on hardware leads to products that are substantially and significantly different from existing products, Apple can likely classify all of those efforts as R&D. This is just another way of saying that whatever your project is, if it's going to lead to a major change to an existing product, it's probably R&D. Instead, if it's more of an evolutionary update to an existing product, it's probably not R&D. At this point, I want to take a step back to look at the broader concept of Apple R&D. Although Apple remains an incredibly focused company when it comes to products, when it comes to saying yes to a few things, the amount of money that Apple is spending in R&D would seem to suggest something different. It would tell us that management may be relaxing its focus a little bit, especially when it comes to researching new ideas. I have one exhibit over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article that takes a look at Apple R&D expenditures as a percent of revenue. That metric is at a 14-year high. This tells us that Apple is spending more in R&D for every dollar of sales earned, despite the dramatic rise in sales over the years. For some companies, this may not be a big deal. You can't really compare R&D as a percent of revenue across companies because there's just too many differences. But for Apple, 
I don't think it can be ignored. For a company that is so focused when it comes to selling products, they sure seem to be investigating a lot more in the way of potential products or new ideas, new processes. There are a few possible explanations here that explain the multi-year growth in Apple R&D expenditures. So we're not just looking at the most recent quarter. We're not looking at next quarter. We're looking at the big picture. As you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Apple is going to spend $14 billion on R&D this year. That's double the amount spent just four years ago. That seems odd in a way. What may be happening here? One possible reason or one possible explanation here is that Apple simply possesses greater ambition. Apple finds itself in a position of being able to do a whole lot more. It was estimated that Apple spent $150 million to build that first iPhone in the mid-2000s. It was a significant amount of cash for Apple at the time. Jump ahead to the current day, and Apple finds itself spending that much money developing one show for its upcoming video streaming service. Apple management may feel it has an obligation of having to do more, given its increased size. As Tim Cook recently put it, we can do more things than we used to because we're a bit bigger. I think a second explanation here has to do with competition. It is no longer enough just to control hardware and software. Apple now finds itself needing to control the technologies powering its devices. Bringing development of fundamental technologies in-house isn't cheap. Apple has opened a series of R&D centers around the world. China, Japan, India, Indonesia, New Zealand, Canada, France, Italy, Israel, Sweden, the UK. Most of those offices, most of those hubs, outposts, they're tasked with developing hardware. Components that are going to eventually power Apple's products. Some of those outposts are likely a result of Apple acquiring teams of talent. The third possible explanation here has to do with Apple wanting to experiment more. While there's no evidence that Apple is allowing more of these ideas or processes that are investigated in the labs to actually proceed to market, it does look like Apple management wants to be in a position where it can afford to say no to more ideas than in the past. This could lead to Apple saying, well, we need to expand R&D. We need to try more things to see what can work. I think that last explanation about experimentation is the most interesting. For a company that positions its ability to focus on only a few things at any one time as a core competency, increased experimentation when it comes to R&D would seem to be at odds with that value. They don't seem to match. So with those three explanations, does one jump out at me as being more realistic? Or is it a combination of the three that explain this multi-decade trend of Apple spending more on R&D? So whereas in the past, despite its large size, Apple was not a top player, a top spender in R&D, that's changed. This brings us to 
my theory on Apple R&D. What do I think is going on here? Ultimately, I don't think it has to do with increased experimentation. I don't think Apple's lost its focus. And I don't necessarily think it has to do with competition, at least not directly. My theory on the dramatic rise in Apple R&D expenditures is that management is becoming more ambitious. Apple's future is found in new industries. That comment seems pretty straightforward. It doesn't seem too controversial of a statement. However, whenever we get news, reports, rumors of Apple moving beyond what it currently knows to do and investigating something new, investigating a new industry, the company receives pushback. They receive criticism, doubt. You hear people say they should just stick with what they know. They should just make computers, make, just make desktops and laptops. That's not Apple's future. Apple moved from desktops, laptops, to personal music players, then to smartphones, then to watches. Apple is going to need to enter new industries to remain relevant. I don't even think that's up for question. It's not even up for debate. This is not a company that is holding on to the iPhone as tight as possible for fear of change. I'm aware that goes against the current narrative that's out there. These days, most of the articles that are written about Apple, they include this boilerplate language that's so off-base. It's about how Apple is all about the iPhone. Management is intoxicated with the iPhone. So whatever Apple's trying to do, it's simply because of iPhone. So they're trying to do this new thing to offset slower iPhone sales. All of that is wrong. Instead, Apple management is constantly investigating new ideas and processes in order to support future moves into new industries. That is part of Apple's culture. This is why I don't view Apple as an iPhone company. I don't view Apple as a hardware company. Apple's culture is not about coming up with new iPhones every year. Apple's culture is not about, well, now we have to come up with services to monetize iPhone users because hardware sales are slowing. Apple's culture is about coming up with new products, placing an emphasis, placing the focus on the user experience found with those products. Ultimately, this explains Apple's ongoing interest in transportation and project tie-in. Transportation is an area that Apple has pretty much no expertise in whatsoever. This is why when people heard about Apple being interested in cars, transportation, they laughed. They thought it was a joke. In reality, Apple knows its future is found in entering new industries. How do you do that? How do you get to a position in which you're entering industry where you really don't know what is going on? <laughs> you spend time learning. You spend time researching and developing new ideas, new processes that may not be currently found in that new industry, in that industry that you're looking at. We have Apple building an entertainment arm 
from scratch. I call it Apple Studios. They have no expertise developing scripted content. In each case, Apple has had to rely on outside hires and significant cash outlays to build core competencies. It's not that Apple is throwing its focus mantra out the window by doing this. I think Apple remains very selective when it comes to M&A activity and deciding which products make it to market. This is where we can talk about how all of Apple's products can fit on one of Johnny Ives' wooden tables. For the most part, that is true. Yes, the existing product lines have certainly gotten wider. There are more options. But Apple has been pretty selective in which products have been given the green light to market. Instead of funding significant R&D endeavors with no intention whatsoever of those efforts leading to an actual product, Apple's R&D remains focused on ideas that I think at least have the potential to become a tangible product, to support or power a tangible product in the future. You could think of it as Apple's R&D remains focused on ideas that have the potential to see the light of day. The years of development behind making Face ID a reality would be a great example of this. Much of this focus mantra is driven by the fact that Johnny Ive and his industrial design group oversee Apple's product vision. They oversee the user experience that's found with Apple products. So if only 20 or so members to Johnny's team They can only do so much at any given moment. This is why, in a way, I think Apple's organizational structure and leadership structure, they serve as safeguards, preventing Apple from spreading itself too thin, from doing too much. I think a lot of people would hear that and say that that's a bad thing. That's a negative. Apple needs to do something to turn that around. They should expand the industrial design group so they can work on more products, do more things, use their $285 billion of cash to do more. Those people are probably going to be disappointed. Apple's strategy appears to be to do the opposite. Place bigger bets on a few products. Not diversify your risk and do more, place a lot of little bets on more products here and there. I don't see Apple doing that. So how do you place bigger bets? I think those bigger bets are going to come in the form of owning the core technologies powering Apple devices. Apple wants to reduce dependency on others. We are moving to the point at which every Apple product will be powered by core technologies developed in-house. Such a reality would have been a pipe dream just a few years ago. You could probably even say two years ago. There has been such significant change in this area in recent quarters. It's remarkable. Apple believes this strategy will give them an advantage 
in the marketplace. So whereas some companies are moving very quickly into this post-device era, where hardware loses value, it's just essentially a commoditized screen, just place screens, speakers everywhere, power's found in the cloud. Apple's going somewhere else. Apple thinks devices will still matter. Screens will still matter. Voice input will matter. Services will matter. The difference is that Apple thinks a company that can control everything, the hardware, software, services that go into all of these, that's going to give that company an advantage in terms of design, in terms of pushing a different kind of user experience. It's a new twist to the Alan Kay line about people who are really serious about software should make their own hardware. That's changing. We are moving to the point at which companies serious about software should design their own silicon. The $285 billion of cash in Apple's balance sheet gives the company the freedom to pursue this ambitious goal. Not too many companies could say the same thing. It is this motivation to control more of the user experience and pursuing new industries to enter that is driving the remarkable increase in Apple's R&D expenditures over the years. In 2016, Apple was the 11th largest publicly listed corporate R&D spender. 2017, Apple was the ninth largest. We are moving to the point where Apple has a shot at becoming the largest publicly listed corporate R&D spender. For most people, that may be the story. And said, I think the takeaway is that for Apple to move up the ranks of largest corporate R&D spenders and still retain its focus mantra to actually place fewer bets, but instead make those bets larger, there aren't too many companies out there that can say they're doing the same thing. That's going to do it for today's episode. Taking a quick look at some of the other Apple topics that I wrote about this week, Apple announced its intention to acquire Texture. So I went over the deal, what I think Apple's motivation here is. I also talked about why I think Apple is doubling down as a content distributor. The blueprints are starting to become apparent when it comes to Apple and content. I also went over my thoughts on U.S. tariffs on Chinese imports. What are the odds that this is going to impact Apple? There are also two stories regarding transportation that caught my attention. Bird, which is the electric scooter ride-sharing company, just raised $100 million. So I went over the company and the space from the perspective of Apple's interest in transportation. In addition, Lyft announced a partnership with Magna. The thing that caught my attention about that is both Lyft and Magna had been really considered two of the more likely possible partners for Apple regarding transportation. So I went over the partnership and what I think it could mean for Project Titan. 
I discussed all of those topics and more in my exclusive daily email about Apple. If you enjoy the analysis that is found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I think you'd be interested in becoming an Above Avalon subscriber. The cornerstone of a subscription is access to my exclusive daily email all about Apple. To sign up, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. A subscription is either $10 per month or $100 per year. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its subscribers. So if you are already an Above Avalon subscriber, thank you. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon subscriber, thank you in advance. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for it in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. It definitely helps spread the word of mouth. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.